welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. I'll let you introduce yourself because I always feel like people, my, my first guest, <laughs> had his yeah. whole thing laid out. So I'll, I'll let you introduce yourself, um, how you got into film, what you currently do. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, so uh, my name is Rue Wood, and I'm a professor of uh, theater, film, and creative writing at Boise State University. And the way I got into film was uh, uh, I did my undergraduate degree in literature. Uh, I was really interested in story generally, so I did my bachelor's degree in literature. And after I finished my degree, I kind of wanted to work in the film business. And so I, I tried to find the closest, bigger city I could find that was uh, actually producing works, and that was Salt Lake City, Utah. So I, so I went down to Salt Lake City, Utah and hit up all the film companies that were producing works. And I found this company called Sun International Pictures. And they were producing these two-hour sort of uh, tabloid television shows for CBS Network. So I worked with them for quite a few years in post-production and also uh, stock footage acquisition. And while I was there, I also started to start to started to uh, help the writers by writing treatments and all that kind of stuff for UFO shows and all kinds of things like that. But after I worked there for a couple of years, I decided maybe I kind of wanted to teach at a university. So I went back to Utah State University and did a master's degree in writing in the theory and practice of writing. And then I did a second master's degree in instructional design and technology because I want to do some work in multimedia. And then after that, I still kind of had the film book. So I went back down to another university, University of Utah, and did a master's of fine arts and film production. And then I decided that I should really try to round it out with a PhD. So I did a PhD in uh, rhetoric and uh, composition, basically, is what it was. But it was kind of rhetorical analysis stuff. And then uh, I've taught a lot of universities, mostly in film courses, rhetoric courses, writing courses, all kinds of classes. And uh, that kind of brings me up to where I'm at today, which is teaching film classes. Gotcha. So, That's yeah. awesome. I, I have a question I want to ask you because I knew that you went to the University of Utah and I'm, I'm curious because I've, I've taken classes from you before. Do you feel like you learn just as much teaching classes as you did when you were in class? Oh, more. Yeah, for sure. More. So every time I teach a class, uh, I pick a new book and it's not necessarily one that I mean, this is kind of sad to say, but it's not necessarily one that I'm like, oh, this is the perfect book for this course. But sometimes it's just like, hey, this is a book I haven't read. I wonder if there's something cool in here. And uh, so most of the time I'm probably try learning more in my classes when I'm teaching them than when I took them. Oh, OK. That's that's interesting. Yeah. That's very yeah. interesting. Yeah, I, I remember I. uh I took your senior lecture was on uh, Kurosawa and um, it felt like the class felt more like a discussion where we were kind of all learning things. And I was curious if you felt like you learned more when you were in class necessarily than when you're taking a class. Cause there's definitely a difference when you're, you know, doing assignments and stuff than when you're just having a conversation with people who are learning about the topic, you know? Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, I mean, I mean, the goal for me is to learn something from from the students that I have in class. So anytime I hear an idea, like I'm being serious if I say, uh, oh, I haven't thought about that before. I probably haven't thought about it before. And it probably goes in a notebook somewhere. And I've got a list of like paper ideas and film ideas. And a lot of those come out of the students. OK. And it's interesting. Uh, University of Utah, I just finished reading uh, Creativity Incorporated, which is the mm -hmm. autobiography by Ed Catmull, the founder mm -hmm. of Pixar who went to yeah. University of Utah. And um, my favorite thing that he said in the book is uh, he has this part near the end of the book where he's like, yeah, I'm 52 and I've been doing this for 30 years. And I realized that I need to go back to school every day because I have no idea what's going on. 
And yeah. I found that really interesting that being like the leader of Pixar, he feels like every day he's learning something new from somebody else, even though I think, I think he has like, I think he has a master's in animation and a master's in like writing basically. Um, and he said himself, he's like, yeah, I have no idea um, what's going mm-hmm. on. Uh, I find well, that really I, interesting. Yeah, it's interesting. So uh, Evans and Sutherland was, is kind of, they have a research park at the university of Utah, a bunch of computer science guys split off and started all these companies. One of them was Evans and Sutherland where they started doing graphics and animation, all that kind of stuff. And some of those Pixar guys split off of there and, you know, they all end up doing different kinds of animation, but they bring them back to the university to talk every now and again. And it's super interesting because they talk about that, like the importance of learning every day, but they also talk about like um, uh, what makes a good animator. And it's not necessarily somebody who's like fabulous with computer software. Like they'll talk about like, you need to be a master of sculpture. You should take dance classes to see how movement works and all that stuff. And I, I, that's how I feel. Like I think, a lot of the stuff that that we learn is sort of the humanity stuff that like the hard sort of like programming or editing or whatever can can be taught pretty easily. But it's all that other soft stuff that's the most important thing to learn as a filmmaker. Yeah, I was just uh, watching this um, this sort of like mini documentary that was about um, sort of the problem with modern day Disney is that they are hiring the wrong people. And one of the examples he used is like in Sleeping Beauty, for instance, the artists who did all of the background um, sort of like just like little images, you know, like the trees and whatnot, the forest. Um, he had no background in like artistry necessarily. He was actually in architecture. And that's why everything mm-hmm. is so geometrical in, in Sleeping Beauty. And they said, where well, nowadays they're, you know, they're just going through the checklist of like, oh, you've done this, you've done this. We might need that on this film. They're not like taking as many risks necessarily with uh, people that have as much experience in other things where... Mm-hmm. I think like if there's anything I've learned in the past like just year alone about filmmaking, it's that you need people who can do everything. Um, mm-hmm. Like it's such a craft that requires so many different things. I think before I was doing anything that involved like actual filmmaking, I didn't know about sort of like the costumes and, you know, uh, productions of sets and stuff like that. And like what a huge task that is. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a lot of people yeah. think there's like the one guy who has like, you know, the one title and there's each of them and then they just go and do their job. And that's kind of like how films yeah. get made. Um, yeah, I, I think that's super smart. And like, I, I believe firmly, like we've gone through a period of specialization where you might be an animator who just designs the leaf or paints the leaf on a tree. And I, I, I hate that sort of factory model. Like, I think it is way more important to be sort of a renaissance person that knows lots and lots of different things. And I, I don't know if you've watched just for fun, like if you watched the Herzog class, the master class. Oh, yeah, yeah, Herzog. yeah. So, so you notice in there, like he says, the best thing you should do if you want to be a filmmaker is read. And he doesn't even say just read whatever. He says, read Icelandic poetry. Right, yeah, yeah. And so it's like, uh, I think the best thing we can do is like, learn as much as you can about everything if you want to tell the stories that touch lots and lots of folks as opposed to like another, you know, Marvel movie or something. Yeah. It, it always cracks me up. Um, I, I just saw Oppenheimer for the third time and, uh, oh, wow. and, um, it, it cracks me up cause I watched this interview with Christopher Nolan. It blows my mind. You know, he, he did not go to film school or anything like that. And it always blows my mind when they ask him what, um, the inspiration behind his films are. Because mm-hmm. you might think it's this sort of background and he was watching these films and these films and he talked about, 
he did not go to school for film, but he did originally go to school for quantum physics. And so he <laughs> had taken a class in quantum physics and that's where he had learned about Oppenheimer. Um, and then he explained like that's a, where a lot of his ideas come from. He said Inception was he was working at like a 7-Eleven type place. <clears throat> and so <clears throat> he's up all night. And so he'd have super weird dreams like in the morning. And he just yeah. found that like really strange. And I'm like, wow, that's, you know, you just have to be good at your craft, which I think for him is a writing. Like he just became really good at writing things out and writing out ideas. And yeah. it's really a lost kind of talent to just experience things from life and then just incorporate those into whatever it is that you're working on, you know? Yeah. Well, he had the benefit too of, um, so you, you might've seen some of this over there while you're studying, but, uh, uh, in England, they had these film societies where people would get together and it was sort of a government program where they would, they would make stuff together. And I know, I think Christopher Nolan was one of the, part of one of these film societies. So when he made, I think it's called following or the yeah, following. his eight millimeter film. Yeah. 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 And, um, but I, I think he was the, was he, did he DP a bunch of that too? So like mm -hmm. he probably just through that experience got more filmmaking than like any school would ever teach him. You yeah. Know, he, so uh, he, he was shooting that while working like a high school job. He'd just like go out with a super eight camera and, uh, and, and film that. Um, and then, yeah, it was shown, I think like at one of those society, like showings, you know, that they, they will have of yeah. what they've been working on and stuff. Yeah, it's yeah they've got a real history there of uh, public education. They also have, I think it's called the open school there, where they try to get education to whoever wants it. You know, so it's like not all, so like if you are interested in that stuff, you can get it. You can get it over there. I think they have a better public education system than we do. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure. Like, I'm probably not a, the best person to ask because I'm at like the, the grad level, which is very specific, you know? So like we only mm -hmm. have one class, so I, I don't, I don't know to be honest, yeah. but, yeah. um, yeah. so I, I want to ask you speaking on this, I, I want to ask you, um, sort of the question that I've been, been focusing on in these, uh, in these podcasts, which is the sort of rise of AI in filmmaking, um, which has become mm -hmm. a super prevalent thing. Some of the Things that have been talked about recently is Marvel has announced with their TV shows that the intro cinematics will be AI generated. Um, they did it with Secret Invasion. Um, another thing that was kind of trending was somebody recreated the entire Seinfeld show in, with AI. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I want to know your your thoughts on that. Do you think it's a viable tool or something that's maybe more dangerous than than productive? Well, I, I don't know that much about it. You know, like I've only tinkered around with those chat bots or whatever just to kind of see how they work. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and it seems like, I, I mean, and this is just a lay person talking, so I don't know if there's anything to this, but this is what I kind of think. It's like, in, in some ways, it's just a plagiarism machine, you know, mm -hmm. that does a really good job with plagiarism. So, like, if you're going to write a screenplay and you want to write a, a comedy and you type in write a comedy with two characters, blah, 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 it's going to find all the junk on the Internet and try to create a coherent package out of all that junk. Mm -hmm. And... So part of me says, well, that's kind of the same way our minds operate, actually. You know, like we, we like to think that being a human is like this, this, and I guess we've kind of been already talking about it in this conversation, but we want to think that it's, you know, that the gods drop this thing in our head and it's this special thing that only occurs to us or whatever. But in some ways, like when you were talking about the dreams of Nolan or whatever, in some ways that's a bit of a plagiarism machine too. It's grabbing all this stuff around and trying to create this experience. The only problem, the only, I guess the benefit of the human though, is it's a little bit of a better plagiarism machine. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it can collect more experiences, but in the future, who knows? I mean, maybe the machine can collect as much 
free associative ideas that it can package in a coherent pack, you know, piece as we do, maybe better. So I don't know. I mean, I haven't seen any really good stuff, you know, yet, but I haven't seen a lot of stuff. I don't like the idea of it. You know, I don't like the idea of a machine creating like that. And I definitely don't like the idea of just straight up plagiarism. But at the same time, when I analyze my own kind of thought process, it sort of works like that. Mm-hmm. So I could see, A, it could kind of be an extension of a creative process or an aid to a creative process. But at the same time, uh, it just seems like it's a little too complicated to do it well. Yeah. 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 yeah I mean, I, I think that the its use of you know maybe working in vfx or special effects is certainly something that could be helpful um i think that the interesting thing that i i read was uh, charlie kaufman um the mm-hmm. for anyone who doesn't know is you know like a screenwriter and um he's directed a couple of films as well something that he uh talks about a lot and this is even before ai but just speaking on rewrites on you know films and stuff is that the thing about a film being written is it's being written through like the most human thing, which is emotional bias. Whenever mm-hmm. you write something, you're writing it through, you know, your emotional bias because your past experiences and stuff. Whereas, you know, an AI wouldn't write it through an emotional bias because it wouldn't be biased at all. That's sort of the point of it, you know? And so something I think that's um, interesting, I just saw Netflix has listed a position that's for a million dollars a year. And it's just to use um, uh, basically screenwriting AI and you just give it all these prompts and it will just start writing TV shows. And then you pick Mm -hmm. out the best ones to send off to the executives. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking like what none of those are going to connect with people as much because they don't have an emotional bias, especially in the case of TV where I think that thing about TV is you go through this journey with a character and a lot mm-hmm. of times the reason you might be watching is because you relate to that journey sort of that the characters go totally. through. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I find that interesting that we're, we're in a really strange place where it, the future is very uncertain about how AI will be used. I just saw the Adobe um, software system. They just released their AI for Photoshop and I was messing around with it last night and uh, it's super cool, the idea of it, but it's absolutely terrible. So like it... Mm-hmm. Basically, you just select part of an image and then it it brings up a little type bar and you can type it whenever you want. But mm-hmm. as an example, I typed in like outer space after selecting the sky and it was like a crayon drawing of outer space in like a real image. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it just looked absolutely mm-hmm. terrible. Um, mm-hmm. But the idea is there for sure that that would help with the VFX and, and sort of different special effects types of things. But I wonder if it's missing the point. And this is a question I asked me the other day. Do you think that I shall ask open-ended. What do you think is the reason that you watch films? What is it about them that connect to you? Well, can I ask one other thing first? Go so ahead. I was just thinking about emotional bias, okay? So emotional bias, like if we try to define what emotional bias is, mm-hmm. what it, it's a complicated thing, you know? Like, So are you saying like the, a certain kind of films might appeal to me because I'm a father or I've experienced this with my... Uh, you know, my current life or I want to live like there's all those aspects that create a cool story for me personally. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I mean, it, it seems reasonable that like you could kind of figure out how to how to zoom in on all it. Like if you could if you could figure out all those factors, it seems like you could create a pretty good proximity of 
emotional bias, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, that's a scary thought because then we, we don't, (laughs) yeah, because then it, I think that's one of those things where if we could find the answer to that, kind of how do you narrow in on what about it is, you know, relatable, um, then probably an AI could write as, as well as a human when it comes to like the human experience. Um, well, you know, and, and there's a, there are plenty of people who say there's only eight plots in the whole world mm-hmm. and those eight plots, but I'm not saying that's the whole thing, the story, but like plots complicated enough. And if you can narrow down plots to eight plots, or if you believe in Joseph Campbell and you say there's only a mono myth, mm-hmm. then pretty soon like the, you know, like the factors aren't, don't seem quite as complicated. And it reminds me of when I was in graduate school, this has been like 80 something, 89 or something, you know? And uh, we had all these writing assignments due. So I was like, oh, man, how am I going to get all these done? And so what I did was I ordered this software. It was called Plotlines Unlimited. And you would plug stuff in, and it would, just like these things today, they would generate a plot. So you'd say, what's the name of your main character? Blah, blah, blah. What does the character look like? Blah, blah, blah. Well, you know, these are some potential storylines. Which one do you like? And and it basically created a choose-your-own-adventure. And they were pretty crappy. You know, they were crappy, just like the stuff today. But at the same time, it was like a reasonable plot. Like it kind of made sense, you know? Yeah, so, yeah. So, you know, and we're, we're only tinkering with this stuff for a little while. So at some point, it, I, I don't like the idea of it, but I could see that it could work pretty good. But the big question you asked is, why do we watch films, huh? Yeah, and something, you know, I think with uh, kind of like with that question and what you were saying about, you know, at some point they might be able to write films that have that emotional bias. I think, yeah, I'll let you answer the question first. I'll let you answer the question first. Well, okay, so I'll start by saying this. So I asked the same question about one of my professors back in school. And he gave me a, what I thought was a pretty simple answer. He just said, well, we go to see ourselves in the films. And I was like, oh, God, that doesn't seem like, like, like if our lives are all about story, then simply going to see a story doesn't seem very like a sophisticated answer to me. I think it's more like when, like if we were a group of people sitting around a fire telling a story, an an important cultural story around a fire, it would serve a different function. Like it wouldn't just be entertainment. Instead, it would be a way for us to figure out what we as a group value and what we as a group think is important. And and it, embedded in that story would be all kinds of social structures, you know, mores, taboos, all that stuff. And so I think the function of the story, even with a film, a good film, is it's it's sort of like a communal story that reinforces our fears and our desires at the same time. Mm. So I, like I don't think of it as entertainment as much as like a like a cultural artifact that's part of our humanity, kind of. Mm. Okay. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, I, yeah, I, you know, I think that along kind of with that, I think, I know for me, the reason I watch films is to, to just know more about the person who made the film. That's kind of how I view it. When I'm watching mm-hmm. a film, I'm just understanding more about the person who directed it or wrote it or, you know, worked on like the, the production. And I think for me, that's why I don't think I'd be interested in an AI produced film is because, mm-hmm. um, I'm not learning about another human being. Um, I guess I am learning about a person in the sense of like an AI, you know, but that wouldn't be the same to me. Um, well, 
but but it's an interesting position that you're talking about because like so you're saying you watch it to learn about the filmmaker mm-hmm. most people watch it because they want to see the character and they want to see something in the character yeah yeah you know what i mean like so you're actually stepping outside of the experience to say like oh i wonder how this film was constructed i wonder you know like you're a specialized crowd the lay person goes in there and says okay uh let's think of a good film uh uh, oh, here, here's a great one, like a real controversial one. So I don't know if you've seen, but like The Sound of Freedom, this little film is like making a buzz over here. And it's yes, all about I've heard about it. Yeah, yeah. And, but Vice, Vice, you know, Vice News has sort of debunked the whole thing and said like it's all based on lies, right? Mm. But when you talk to people, so I was just hiking the other day. I was talking to some people about films and what films they like. And they bring up this film. And the reason it seems like they like this film is because for them – it, it reinforces this idea that like we can do something to make the world better. That character in the film did something to make the world better. Now I can do something to make the world better too. So it's like almost like I feel like the ones that work, they're functioning to, to increase a certain behavior or value or even reflective behavior or value that's already there in the audience. Gotcha. To confirm something that they were sort of already thinking or already behaving in yeah. that way. And, and that would be a hard thing. I mean, at, at least now I think it'd be impossible for an AI to do, but you know, if there's enough, you know, but, but enough freedom that we could plagiarize, you know, or, or whatever Rambo's, then maybe, maybe it would be possible. Have you, uh, for, that, for that function. Have you, uh, have you seen the film Ex Machina? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That, uh, that was something I was thinking about the other day where, that film's interesting because the sort of experience that Oscar Isaac's character is trying to um, portray is the experience of like kind of sexual tension, right? With the robot kind of sort of, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, and what's interesting about it is that the whole time the AI is aware of that, they're aware that they're trying to be, they're trying to be tricked into it. And the AI mm-hmm. is trying to be tricked into being a part of the experiment. Mm-hmm. And something that uh, when I was rewatching it, something Sunny brought up to me was like, what if, you know, it comes about that Disney, for instance, says, okay, we're going to have AI write this film and all this, and it ends up being, like, the most profound film about, like, humans that's, like, ever mm-hmm. come out, sort of like, you know, like a, like a Citizen Kane type event. Mm-hmm. And I said, I was like, that would be kind of an incredible moment in human history, because I think there's very few times that one specific film has been sort of, like, so culturally relevant. Mm-hmm. and um yeah, I was saying that would actually be super interesting. And that would be the most sort of artistic thing possible. Like what, what a reflection of art that something that we created creates a reflection of ourselves better than we do. That would be super mm-hmm, interesting. Mm-hmm, yeah. Well, well, I mean, like all this stuff grows out of the Turing test, you know? You're, you've heard of the Turing test? Yes, 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 yes. And so the idea there is basically like, you know, it, it really doesn't matter what's in the machine. Like if we think the machine thinks, then there's no difference in it thinking or not thinking, you know? Mm-hmm. And so in, in some ways, like even though we hate the idea, I, I mean, we haven't really narrowed down what thinking is. Like I'm suggesting like it's just kind of this free associative m- mashup that is pretty similar to what a chatbot's doing. Mm-hmm. Or even so the like in the even in the 70s, they did these, these chatbots that would like that they were based on like uh, when you go to a psychologist and you talk to a psychologist 
Yeah. Have you seen some of these online? Oh yeah, yeah. They still like, but, but basically all they do is they'll say stuff like, uh, you know, like, how do you feel about your parents? And, and and then if you type in like, oh, I feel pretty good about my parents, and they'll say, well, tell me more about your parents, and you say, well, they were they were grew up in such and such a place, huh? How do you feel about? where they grew up and it, and it's funny because in the 70s when they made those things a lot of people like they worked as well as a therapist because yeah. the function of a therapist is basically to be a mirror of whatever you're, you're talking about so yeah I, I mean like as much as we don't like the idea i think it is possible that we could build something that it, that does mirror us as as well as any of us could yeah it's just something i asked uh a previous guest uh roland who you are yeah. aware of um was something that's interesting because we, we you just mentioned like the function of it, right? Like the the function of what you're doing. And I asked him, I was like, is there a function to film? Like, is there something that it's supposed to be doing? Because something that's interesting about AI um, sort of becoming a part of this and everything is that um, in video games, the idea of AI creating a story has been prevalent for a long, long time. There have been video games for the past probably 15 years that will auto-generate um, aspects of the story and the function of a video game a lot of times right is to just interact just have something to do and it works perfectly fine in those scenarios mm-hmm. um the only thing that i would question with that but i don't question it in the sense that like i think it's wrong but like so a video game is kind of like a choose your own adventure right yeah so if you, if you do this action then something else happens and so in some ways, it's not really nonlinear. It's not like anything can happen. It's more like multilinear, like there's 3 billion possibilities, you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah. And, and so in some ways, you think, oh, God, that's that's inferior to a story where a story isn't multilinear. It's infin- in- infinite, right? Mm-hmm. But I don't. I just don't know if it is. Like, I keep falling back on that idea of, like, if there are, like, eight plots on the planet. And again, plot's not the only thing, but let's say there's eight plots 3,000 character types, whatever. It's really a matter of just working out that Rubik's cube and you got a, and you got a masterpiece. Right. You know? Yeah. 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 It's um, all of the random elements that come together. I do wonder if that's part of it, just sort of the process of the production, just these random elements of humans interacting that, that makes something, you know, worth watching that makes something a part of like the experience that you're having, you know? Well, I, I think that's how some people are using AI stuff. You know, so I'm on this committee and we were right. We were working on a proposal and somebody came back to this meeting with kind of like a page and a half of like, like this proposal. And uh, and I was like, well, that, that's good writing. You did good stuff here. And she said, well, that's my buddy, the chat bot or whatever it is, you know, chat, yeah. whatever they are. And so she, she had used that to start the writing. And then she used that as a springboard, which became almost like an electronic writer's room. Okay. So in some ways, that that's kind of a good use of that of the technology too definitely definitely that's interesting yeah um so we kind of we need to wrap up here i want to ask you um is there any way that any listeners can find you online or anything that you're uh, working on or or have worked on in the past if they want to get some more information sure i mean i got a bunch of projects nothing's going right now but so the first one is we're doing a documentary about migrant farm workers so I've been interviewing migrant farm workers here in Idaho to see how uh, climate change has affected them. We're also putting in a proposal to try to do a documentary on uh, equity and water here in Boise, because we have quite a bit of water here in Boise, but a lot of it goes to the farmers or whatever. So we're going to do a project on equity of water. And the oh, 
this film that the students and I worked on two years ago, Letting Loose the Hounds, is going to be at the Tacoma Film Festival in October. Oh, wow. Okay. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So that, I guess that's the main stuff right now. Okay. Very, very cool. Very, very cool. Yeah. Okay. Well, so. thank you so much for uh, for being on. Yeah, man. Good to see you. Yeah, it's good to see you. Yeah, I'll have to send you uh, updates of what's what's going on, what what I'm what I'm working on. I know you're about to be busy with school starts soon, right? Yeah, but I'm never that busy. You can shoot yeah. me a note anytime. <laughs> Got it. Sounds good. Sounds good. Okay. All right. Well, good to see you, man. Good luck with everything. Yeah, I'll I'll I'm sure I'll I'll email you soon. Okay. Talk to you soon. Talk to you. Bye.